right, so welcome to uh, Victory Monday edition of the Stauscast uh, Minnesota Recap. Um, that kicked ass. Uh, <laughs> any any thoughts, Connor? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we've been in our our chat, our Michigan group chat, uh, you know, for almost twenty four hours now. Um, just <laughs> straight, re- pretty much twenty four hours straight, no sleep needed. Uh, just reveling in that win. Um, I mean, we're gonna have a lot to say. I, I think, like. I, I, I will say this, uh, any, any Michigan fan who is using like some little scrap of something that happened in that game to be, to become pessimistic about the season, I will find you at your house. <laughs> ha, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Parody satire. Um, no, I, I just like, it's, it's, there's just not a lot to be negative about, but we're going to get into the weeds and I'm sure we'll find something. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just overall, I mean, I, one of the most uh enjoyable days of college football that I've had um since I really can't remember when I mean maybe the Notre Dame game last year where I was got blackout drunk at Skeeps um <laughs> visiting <laughs> visiting with all of my friends and had to be like carried home that's probably the best that's like the last time that I was really happy with Michigan football um but I mean just a great day of college football for a Michigan fan um, and, you know, I guess we'll, we'll go ahead and, and get right into it. You know, I guess, cause we're going to be, I guess, you know, more important, um, than Michigan actually winning was how right we were about everything, like almost to a scary extent. I think we were, we were very, this is like the most correct Michigan football podcast you'll find. Yeah. We have the best takes folks. Don't go anywhere else for your takes. Um, <laughs> um, so I guess, uh, without further ado, you know, that's, that's a pretty, pretty, uh, positive way to open up the podcast but um let's go into the more the more relatively speaking negative part of the game um and that's just so we can you know we can really end on a high note here and we you we can keep you uh you know listening to the part where we just talk about joe milton for you know potentially 40 straight minutes um but let's let's talk about the defense first um connor i'll I'll give you i'll just say like what, what what were your overall thoughts like your 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 uh, feelings uh, about the defense. Yeah. I mean, my feelings ball take that is fairly empirical is a lot of things I expected to be good. were good. Anywhere from good to excellent. Um, a number of things that I had questions about got pretty solid answers. Like I, I have not seen Michigan defensive tackles and it was multiple guys make this many impact plays in a game Probably since Hurst. I don't think in any single game in 2018, 2019, did you see multiple DTs make explosive impact plays uh, in, a, in the same game. Um, and then I, I have hot takes about cornerbacks, and we'll get to that. But, I mean, just like just in general, I actually feel very positive. I think I feel more positive than most fans. I feel more positive than most fans because I have enough of a brain to know that just because the score says 24 in a game that was played at a way higher pace than recent hardball teams wanted to play – that doesn't mean that the defense did not do a fantastic job. So, yeah, um, I generally agree. Um, I think that I think a lot of the things that Michigan struggled with were things that we kind of know are good. So I'm not. It's like kind of like you're not worried about them because you have a large sample size of knowing that they're good. Um, 
So I'll kind of start off. So, you know, first of all, uh, the rumors were kind of confirmed. Um, Minnesota had uh, two offensive linemen out, uh, probably their best offensive lineman, Daniel Falele, um, who I think he's just out for the year on an opt-out. I have no idea why. Um, I think he might have gotten hurt, and then he just kind of opted out. And then also Curtis Dunlap, um, who was off on the sidelines in a cast. Um, so that kind of that, that did kind of shake things up for Minnesota, but I think Minnesota actually still kind of did have a pretty good offensive line. Their one backup that they brought in for the interior was a guy that PFF really, really liked on like a pretty high volume last year. He was he was a really solid backup, and even potentially like a lot of people thought should have been starting over Curtis Dunlap. Um, I, I think where it hurt, where it really hurt them was in pass pro, where they were already not very good. Um, so you know, I guess if we're going to start just on, on Minnesota's offensive line versus Michigan's uh, defensive line, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that this that Minnesota did some work against Michigan's defensive front. Um, I thought the interesting part though was you know, and and like Connor said, I think you know the, the defensive tackles were better than we've seen in recent uh, memory. The work that was done on the ground against Michigan's defensive front was not like like very few plays were just up the gut like you know inside zone and like our defensive tackles are getting blown out. I did not feel like that's what was happening. I felt that m- most of it was stuff that bounced to the outside or kind of like started one way and then bounced off tackle or or into the C gaps. And I thought of that was a lot of that was potentially um, about the way that uh, that Michigan was playing the RPO game. Um, Connor, what did you what did you think about Minnesota's success on the ground? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think we're gonna have to wait for some grades and some film review um, that we sadly don't have, you know, the capacity or access to do. But I, I think that your overall like there's no question that Michigan wanted Minnesota to run. Um, they wanted that for a number of reasons. Number one, Michigan has great linebackers who really showed out in this game. Uh, you know, number two, Michigan knows their their defensive line can make plays. You know, not every time, but but enough um, to where they prefer to run. And obviously, Minnesota's most dangerous offense was always going to be getting the ball out very quickly uh, into space to Bateman in particular, but just to get the ball out quickly to those like three spots in the field they always throw to. Um, and Michigan didn't want to let them do that, and they were going to live with you know what Ibrahim did, which is put up a very good game statistically. And by the way, I think Ibrahim's a good running back. Like for instance, I think if he were on Wisconsin, which is a running back factory, I think he'd be their number one back right now. Uh, I think he's one of the best backs in the Big Ten. One of the best. He might. I mean, honestly, with Journey Brown out, he might be the best back that Michigan sees all year. Um, yeah, he's I, up there. I he's up there. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think I, I did sell him short in the preview. I was much. I actually thought thought this to myself while I was watching. I was much more impressed um, with uh, with Ibrahim than I thought uh, I would be going into it. I thought he showed really nice balance. I thought he just hit the holes really hard and like ran through some arm tackles of some like really good linebackers. Um, so you know, I, I you know, hats off to uh, Ibrahim. I thought he was he was definitely one of the bright spots for Minnesota. Um, some interesting notes on, you know, as, and as far as the defensive tackle play, like, I, I do agree. Like, I don't think they really got blown off the ball. Um, and it looked like it was clearly, like, Kemp and Jeter are your first string defensive tackles. And then Hinton and Wellshop looked like your second string defensive tackles. Um, and, you know, I didn't, I mean, look, it, it's hard to say on first watch, and I haven't even rewatched the entire game yet. 
but I didn't feel as though they were getting kind of you know um, caved in 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 a, in the way that uh, we we've seen some you know Michigan defensive tackles get caved in in the past two years. No, and, and I mean, you had impact pass rush and tackles for loss coming from the DTs, which we haven't seen for yeah for two years basically. Um, certainly not last year at all. Maybe sometimes in 2018, but like yeah, like you said. Uh, you know, Welshoff came in as a as a three tech in a lot of situations. He looked great to me. He was making plays. He was very explosive. He had a sack. Um, that's all you need from him. You don't need him to hold up. You know, against Wisconsin's offensive line every play. It, the, the those nuances of how guys are holding up in unglamorous situations where they're not getting a chance to make an explosive play. Like again, we need to see grading. We need to look at some film. I, I have no idea. I will say that, like similar to you. I didn't feel like Minnesota was opening up gaping holes that were easy for Ibrahim to run through. I think Ibrahim was making really smart decisions within the confines of what Michigan was giving him. Uh, and, and there was like really no moment where I was saying, like, okay, the defensive line is, is blowing this thing. Because once again, the whole idea here was to incentivize the run and, and to know that you were going to give up X amount of space uh, in, in the run game you know, if, Minnesota's, if, if Ibrahim made the right decision. So I'm actually quite optimistic, and I, that might come back to bite me when they do get to a team like Wisconsin that actually has you know serious NFL linemen. But I mean, the number of times that we saw these DTs, frankly, manhandle Minnesota's above average like interior offensive line, I don't know, man. It's pretty good to see. Yeah, I thought it was. You know, we we talked about this game sort of being like an early midterm for Michigan's interior defensive line, and. Well, you know, to be clear, like, I'm not Brian Cook. Brian Cook has the UFRs. I'm not PFF. Like, PFF's going to watch every play. So they could come back and tell us, like, hey, this actually wasn't that good. And that's totally, like, totally on the table. Like, it's it's hard to really tell, like, when you're just watching from the first time and then kind of going back and watching highlights. Um, but, I, you know, I will say that, like, I would be surprised if they graded out, like, overwhelmingly negatively um, because I think, you know, I think they did make some plays. Um, so I, I, you know, just, just from what I saw, I feel like they passed, um, they definitely passed that early midterm, which is a nice thing to see. Um, and you could definitely tell that Brown like had more, you know, uh, Don Brown definitely had more, uh, confidence in like rotating more guys through. Um, whereas last year it was just all Ken. Um, so kind of like to talk about a, a, just a little bit about why I sort of think that, um, the, the, the Minnesota's running game had, had some success. Um, you know, to be clear, 5.4, you know, Mo Ibrahim went for 5.4 yards per carry. That's survivable. I mean, it's, it's, that's a good average, obviously, and efficient. Um, and you don't want to see that every game. But I think, like, you know, as far as, it, like we were saying, you know, hey, let's let these guys run the ball. Like, that's pretty much exactly what I was looking for, you know, is that he would run the ball for, like, you know, five yards per carry on, like, pretty high volume. And those snaps would not be going to Rashad Bateman. Um and so uh, I think kind of part of the reason that is is that two things. One, um, I feel as though because we were incentivizing you know, runs in the RPO game, um, when you don't have – that basically means that your linebackers and your secondary are not coming down you know, as hard to fill when a, uh, a run bounces outside. And I really think that's where, um, where Minnesota made a lot of their money. Um, and then two, you know, we saw Dax go off the field pretty much in, in the, uh, in the first, um, sometime in the first half. Um, and I think like his replacements, 
um, were not, you know, I think I think Makari Page came in uh, or one of the other freshmen. Um, his replacements, I think, you know, it's fair to say probably weren't as well-versed in where they should be filling in, you know, when a run bounces. So I, I do think that's where Minnesota made a lot of their a lot of their money on the ground. Um, and then yeah, we also, want Dax back. Dax back is important here. <laughs> yeah, Dax being back is huge. We should say because, you know, he did look like – he did look very good before he went out. I think, you know, he had a couple plays where he really, um, you know, was key in coverage. Sounds like it's just a, a potentially either a concussion or a black eye, both of which, you know – um, Minnesota, Michigan's got kind of, uh, well, at least one team they should definitely beat next week. Um, so that's, it's not the worst. Like he can definitely, even if he misses next week, like he'll be back before, you know, um, uh, some of the, some of the better teams Michigan plays. Um, so, and then I think the third thing also is that I saw Vincent Gray a couple times get, you know, sort of have a poor run support showings. Um, and that's sort of the same deal where it's like when things are bouncing, you have to rely on your defensive backs to, you know, come up and make the play. And I think, you know, it's fair to say potentially some of Michigan's secondary players might not be quite the like run support demons that Michigan has had in the past couple of years. I think that's something that Michigan fans have really taken for granted that, you know, we've got guys like, um, you know, guys like Lavert Hill and Ambry Thomas who are just like so good in run support. So, you know, those I, I think those are kind of some of the, some of the things that I'm thinking about. I, I agree. I will say this though, which is this is the wrong game to test that hypothesis because it was a game where we knew the entire game was stopping predictable quick passing to receivers and where Brown did mostly stick and press man, which is what we said he shouldn't do, and he did it and it worked. And so I guess my point is like it, Corners in particular were not being asked, uh, you know, like they're, they're just like they're, I don't know how I think about that in terms of the corner game, um, in, in terms of like their, their role and run support in this game. Uh, it, it just, it's, it's a weird game to test that hypothesis, I guess is all I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, I'm totally okay with the results here. Um, I would say maybe just like something to watch going forward. We'll see if it's something they tighten up. Um, or if, you know, this was a kind of a, you know, a, a, uh, a symptom of just the specific um, game plan here. So let's talk a little bit about how, you know, that game plan worked out. Um, so this, you know, they pretty much did what we said they should do. And Michigan held Tanner Morgan to one of his worst passing days since like very early last year. Um, I think, you know, he went for like under seven yards per attempt and he was at like 10 yards per attempt for last year. Um, I think he, he, he didn't complete 60% of his passes. Um, he looked a little bit rattled all game after, you know, I said that that's just not something that happened to him. Um, and they really hit him. Um, I think, you know, they were, they only had, I think, well, I mean, not only, they had a lot, they had like four sacks or five sacks, yeah. but they, they rattled him after, you know, after, um, Barrett made that, you know, crushing hit that led to that fumble six. Um, he, I mean, that Barrett looked, hit. That Barry hit is like, that's as hard of a hit as you'll see in a passer. In contemporary football, we are not really allowed to hit the passer. Like, it was clean. But, I mean, he just yeah. annihilated Tanner Morgan. And, that, and that, that stuff will get to you, you know? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they rushed the passer well in this game. Um, you know, I think they, they did exploit Minnesota's, like, shuffled offensive line. And, you know, I think that's what we, we expected and wanted to see, that they, they were effective in their pass rush um, and, you know, getting to Tanner Morgan. Um you know, and the, the thing that we will say is that um, I think uh, Rashad Bateman did eat. Like, he did go for over 100 yards. Um, but, you know, he wasn't the, like, 
he didn't do what he had to do for Minnesota to win this game, which was like him to just be completely unstoppable and like go for you know and like cut, catch several touchdowns. Um, Connor, what what are your thoughts on the success Rashad Bateman had in this game? I mean, I think his like his yards per uh, target or whatever is like eight point four, which is very pedestrian for him. He was way over that last year on average. Tanner Morgan's yards per attempt were six point four, which is sterling. I mean, I think he was right over ten yards per attempt last year in an incredibly efficient year. Um, I mean, if you gave me these numbers, Minnesota has like 320 some, 330 somewhere in that ballpark, total yards of offense in a game that's played at a high pace, which is again, Michigan has not wanted to do that in the past. This is brand new, which is why I, I, I partly forgive fans for like being like, Oh, the defense sucked. It's like, well, if we actually like were to adjust these numbers for the pace that Michigan was playing at rather than playing ball control, because to be clear, Minnesota possessed the ball 10 minutes more than Michigan did in this game. I looked it up, which is kind of wild, but it's because Michigan was scoring instantly whenever they wanted to. Um, and, and so, like, the fact that it was, like, a little over 300 yards by an explosive passing offense, that it wasn't efficient, that Bateman did get open a few times, it just doesn't – it's what you want to see. It's what Cle- it's like what Clemson or Bama would let Minnesota have if they played them. Like, yeah, you would see Rashad Bateman get open against those teams a few times – it's just a matter of how often and like in what context, what volume, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this to me was, I, I find this game plan unimpeachable and I find the execution by the players close to unimpeachable. I'm sure we could hone in on specific instances. Like there was one obvious bust where Rashad Bateman was just like running totally free. It didn't look like anyone accounted for him. That's probably just a bust and a mistake. But like the more I think about the defense in this game, the more I like it. Um, I, I thought they turned an excellent job against what we know is a proven efficient offense. Um, you know, this, we would have taken this box score, uh, in, you know, without, without a second thought, if you had showed it to us at, you know, at 625, right before the game started. Um, and I thought a lot of the things that Bateman got were like against the safeties. One of his big plays was against, um, I think Macari page. Um, and you know, that, that is one thing that Brown continues to do is like, He's gonna tell you like, hey, you know, this is your position. Like Macari Page, you're a freshman. Like you, you, your your position as as the rover safety, you have to cover the slot. And you know, like I would sometimes like to see him not do that because of course Macari Page got beat by Rashad Bateman. Like that's that was never that was always gonna happen. Um, but like you know, for the most part, like it 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 did work in that you know he we got enough stops. Um, and also I would say that uh, you know. I really, and this is where we can kind of get into our cornerback takes. I think when he was matched up on Jemon Green, um, which, you know, I thought was, I, at least I saw him matched up on Jemon Green more. Um, I really liked the work that Jemon Green did in this game on, on first glance. Um, I don't know. What's, what's your, what are your hashtag cornerback takes? Um, uh, my take is that I think Jamon Green might be really good. <laughs> he's, <laughs> yeah. he's big. He's bigger than Michigan corners have been. He's got both height and length. Uh, he is plenty fast to match up with someone like Bateman. And there were a couple plays where he was just all over somebody. I mean, that, that one big completion to Chris Ottman Bell, Bell had to just do a straight up push off that didn't get called. Otherwise, Green was like, just, you know, had him locked down. Um, yeah. And then the the one play that the play that made me think that like Michigan and Don Brown just had this team's number it was late in the game. Michigan was already going to win, but it was like when Morgan was I think rolling out to his right. I don't know. If, well, I can't remember what Morgan was trying to do, but he was trying to do like what he always does, which is you know look for a shot at Bateman immediately. Um, 
in the corner of the end zone, in the red zone. And Green was just all over Bateman. He jammed him. He was all over him. Nothing Bateman did fooled him. He was right there. And then Morgan, I, as I recall in that play, like then tried to turn to his left, and Michigan had totally sealed the edge, and he sailed it out of the back of the end zone. It was just like, all right, you've got him. You've got Minnesota. You've got Bateman. You've got Morgan. And the key, the key piece in all of that was Jamon Green just being on top of maybe the best single receiver Michigan will see. Um, so I don't, we need to see more from Green, and I need to see his UFR grades. It wouldn't surprise me if he had some bad plays to go with some great plays. But I think he had, like, he had multiple pass breakups in this. He had some pretty good tackles, I think, and run support. Um, he might be a dog, man. Like, we might have something there. Yeah, I – look, we both very much were, like, <clears throat> you know, understandably pessimistic about the corners coming into the year. Like, we, we, we spent a lot of time last on the last podcast talking about it. Um, so I don't think it's, like – Jamon Green made straight up three – I'm going to say four plays in this game – that were noticeably very, very good. So number one, um, that the, actually one of the one of the longest plays from Minnesota on the day, um, that Outman Bell um, uh, fly route. Jamon Green had that absolutely like one, like he dominated that route. He was in intercepting position. He was totally in phase. He did. He looked like he, you know, we we talked about Outman Bell being a pretty good, you know, number two receiver, um, and I think he is. Uh, he's a he's a you know, he was a good, good athlete, good recruit with good speed. And, and, and Jamon Green was absolutely in phase all the way down the field. Um, and Outman Bell got an, uh, I mean, like, I'm not even one to complain about the refs usually, but like, it was clearly, clearly a push off, you know, um, Outman Bell pushed him forward and came back and, and caught the ball. Um, that's, that kind of stuff is going to get like, that was an obvious one. And that's going to get called in most games. And I can't, you know, blame Jamon Green for that. Um, number two on a, like an angle route by uh, by Rashad Bateman, he completely sat on it. it was a it was a third and five, um, the third and five where uh, Minnesota ended up going with that fake punt on fourth and five. Um, so kind of a pivotal point in that game. Jemon Green completely sat on you know the the out move and drove on the slant route and like broke it up. Like was closer to intercepting it than it was to it being a completion. Um, and then in two back-to-back plays on like slot fades into the uh, when when Minnesota um, was going for a score and end, ended up turning it over on downs in the red zone, um, Jamon Green was all over Rashad Bateman on uh, on fa- on like you know slot fades. So I mean like I don't know what was going on in practice that led them to try you know Faustin at corner. I don't know if like that was a motivational tactic, but like. He looked noticeably better than Vincent Gray today, or or, on, or yesterday. Yeah, I I am very pleased with this green situation, especially because like the athletic upside is very clear today. He was not getting burned by any of these guys speed wise. So like, I I think that probably Michigan's corners will have some moments this year that are not incredible. I also have the burning hot take that a lot of Michigan fan discourse has overrated guys like Levert Hill a little bit who apparently like can walk on water and, and yet somehow that can't actually contain the best passing offenses that Michigan sees. So <laughs> I'm, you know, sorry guys, but like I, this is, I, I think what I like about, about gray and, and green is like, I, I, I saw it from both of them, but especially green. Um, we, we didn't see and on the whole secondary. We didn't see the secondary, like pitch a perfect game where no one was ever open, which we did see like the 2018, 
Michigan secondary do sometimes with Long and Liberty Hill against lesser teams than Minnesota, I would, I would add, lesser offenses than Minnesota. But they looked like a very good secondary in, in modern football where <laughs> you understand, like, where it's less about being absolutely perfect, you know, one-on-one every single time because no one can do that against elite teams. And it's more about, like, being put in situations where you can make the correct play and you're not going to get... Um, you're not going to get burned by scheme and you don't have to be a superhero. And I, and I think that Michigan secondary looks perfectly solid in those regards with the caveat that like, yeah, they need Dax back because behind him is a true freshman who is going to make some mistakes. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it was, <clears throat> I think this game was exactly what we wanted to see. Um, I think that, you know, I would say like, this is a little bit stock up for the defense. Like I thought we, I think the defensive tackles survived a pretty good offensive line. We think that the secondary survived a, what is going to be a really good passing attack. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, th- that's all we could have possibly asked for um, when this when coming into this game. Um, you know, uh, I will also say, like, the pass rush was what we kind of thought it was going to be. Um, and uh, we did also see um, Quiddy Pie dip around the edge one time. So uh, that's... That's which, which is good to see because it's like we didn't really see that last year and like that's just to show that he can do it is something that you know th- they are going to need someone to step up and be like Uche like we talked about. So. Yeah, I mean, Pay seemingly outplayed Hutchinson, but again, when you just watch the game, you see explosive plays. You don't see ever you know get grades and stuff. So he seemingly was the better DE, and we haven't talked about defensive ends or linebackers because they're all good. I mean, Hutchinson, Pay, McGrone, Ross, Barrett. All of those guys had multiple great plays. All of those guys look like potential all Big Ten players coming out of this game. That's not a huge surprise. It's great to see it. But um, yeah, those guys, no question marks, as good as we expected. If, and Barrett looks better than we expected. So. Oh, yeah. And that's, it, I mean, yeah, Barrett was the big, was the star of this game with a couple of big hits. Um, he looks really good. Yeah. I mean, look, we're. I would say, like, linebacker play and, like, defensive line play, like, we, we've only watched this game once. Like, you're going to get a better take from PFF. You're going to get a better take from MGoBlog. And, you know, anyone anyone uh, listening to this uh, podcast also reads MGoBlog, I'm assuming. So, um, you know, I mean, like, we don't have the definitive take, but I, I do think, you know, they they looked good. Like, this, what they, they didn't seem like they were in the wrong gaps or really blowing things. Um, there weren't a whole lot of, like, big running plays so i thought you know i thought everyone you know looked pretty much as good as we expected them to be um i do also want to like before we move on to the offense um and we're going a little bit long here but i did want to mention one kind of interesting thing i saw don brown do um <clears throat> he brought uh, a lot of uh corner uh, nickel blitzes off of like the when you when the quarterback's riding the rpo he's looking like the opposite way of where the running back is going. And so if he's looking to his left, Don Brown brought a lot of cornerback blitzes off of the strong side. And I think that was really interesting. That was the play that got, you know, Michael Barrett, the uh, fumble six. Um, I thought that was interesting because I think Don realized that, you know, if if the quarterback's looking that way on the RPO, he's not going to be looking at that, you know, obvious nickel blitz that's coming. And um, he was basically able to get like a free a free hit on the quarterback and a free touchdown out of it. So um, nice little uh, nice little schematic win for Don Brown. Yeah, I mean it goes back to my take. That's a great observation, and because that's what I was saying about like the play that I kind of knew that Michigan totally had uh, this team's number is like pretty simple with Tanner Morgan. He's gonna 
he's going to always be verging on staring down Bateman. And I think Brown knew that and <laughs> used it to great advantage in this game. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think we're, I think we're happy. I think this is like the, the midterm they had to pass, um, you know, and we'll see, they've got to tighten up the, the run fits a little bit, but I think, you know, the best we could have asked for, um, and we'll see, you know, I mean, Wisconsin's going to be the next like test for this team, um, for this defense. And, you know, that's a very, very different offense to the point where I don't even know if we can, like, project this out. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see We'll see what the, the graders have to say about well, this. Well, let's not curse ourselves by sleeping on 9 Indiana. okay? Let's not <laughs> let's not tempt the, the gods of Crimson Quarry because uh, <laughs> when I say that that's not a test. But, yeah, I mean, I think that the key thing um, that I just want to, like, underline here, I've said it a couple times, this was a good, a very good to excellent defensive performance. The fact that a team that has a really good passing attack, an elite passing attack, in fact, put up 24 points and seven of those were off of a blocked punt and weren't the defense's fault at all, that is a good result now. And I think Michigan fans need to like wake up and realize that you're simply never going to have a defense that holds good offenses to 10 points. It's not going to happen anymore. Stop expecting it. This is what it looks like when you have a good defense now. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Um so, and then, you know, kind of a, a good segue into, you know, why you can't really stop uh, offenses anymore or shut offenses down anymore. Um, so, you know, let, let's talk about the offense. And, I mean, like, I am speechless. Um, this was just everything we ever wanted. Um, that's not to say this is like, I you know, that's not to say like this is a perfect offense or anything or that this is going to be like, the number one offense per SP plus or anything, but like in terms of the things that Michigan fans wanted to see with this personnel, I mean, like it was, it's unbelievable to the extent, the extent to which we got every single one of them. Um, I don't know, Connor, I'll just, I'll just let you go off a little bit and talk about how, how great this was. Well, I was thinking about this because, you know, we're, we're sitting there in our Michigan chat with like pretty knowledgeable fans, but we're all, we're all young. I think everyone there is under 40 and a lot of people in there in their 20s. And we were trying to figure out when the last time Michigan had an offense that looked like this, that looked this modern, that looked like it could get whatever it wanted and make, made things look easy, um, that was doing all the things on our wish list as Michigan fans. Because I think a lot of the angst of Michigan fans is that like you just never get the offense you want. And as you said, we got the offense we wanted. We couldn't really think of when that was and maybe maybe at some point during the Lloyd era in the 90s or the turn of the 21st century people felt that way in a much different context but I remember when MGO blog went last year when we hoped this was going to be the offense that's a whole other story they had to go back I think that their preview they were trying to figure that out too and they did their homework and went back to the 40s the mad magicians in the late 40s were the last time that Michigan was like that cutting edge and that explosive relative to the rest of the country um and because, because again, through, you know, the, the Bow era, the Lloyd era, and the 21st century, Michigan has never been that team, ever. Not, not in living memory, essentially. And now, at least in this game, they were. Uh, they were making it look incredibly easy. They were, I, I don't even know what to say about it. It was the Gaddis offense we wanted. It was truly speed and space. Um, I, I, I want you to break down what that means on a technical level. But yeah, it, it was just incredible to see. I mean, yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I just don't even. It was so incredible, and I, I like the only punt Michigan had was, uh, the only punt that Michigan had was because Ben Mason owned someone too hard. 
<laughs> Which I'll take. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was, it's so funny because you know on the broadcast they said like I mean if for you all watch the game but you know it, basically Michigan immediately goes to like a speed and space play with Blake Corum who dusts the pants off of you know some like we've been saying like these linebackers incredibly uh, incredibly exploitable dusts the pants off this linebacker goes for twenty three yards. Next play, um, I think, was like a you know a quarterback run that just missed being a huge play, um, and then the next play, Ben Mason <laughs> was like a like a six yard run where Ben Mason blocked someone into to Minnesota's sideline and got a flag for it, and that kind of led to Michigan punting. But then after that, Michigan was just not stopped. Um, we just saw so much. I mean, so many different players caught the ball. Um, I think from a receiving perspective, I mean, I'll just run it down. Ronnie Bell four catches. Roman Wilson, two catches. Eric All, two catches. Blake Corum, a catch. Giles Jackson, two catches. A.J. Henning, a catch. Mike Sanders, still a catch. Chris Evans, a catch. Ben Mason, a catch. Like, like it's unbelievable how how well they distributed the ball and worked everyone's strengths. Um, they Yeah. They're, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just wanted to say, like, this is a really important point that I think you can't underrate. There are only a few teams in the country that are able to bring in true freshmen and involve them in the offense immediately and have them making explosive plays. It's a hallmark of the most elite teams. You only see it on teams like Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, that tier of teams. Michigan is now one of those teams that brings in teenagers, puts them on the field, puts the ball in their hands, and before you know it, they have 14 yards. They did that with, uh, you know, with Corum, with Henning, with Roman Wilson. To see that happening, to see Michigan have that level of talent and those guys contribute immediately um, seamlessly with confidence is like that development for like the future of Michigan's offense. Like you can't overstate what it means for recruiting and you can't overstate what it means for like how they're developing guys, what's going on in practice and just how damn good the offense is. And I, I don't think that I'm overstating that. It's, it's really important to see things like that. Yeah. I mean, just everything, it was one of those games where it was like, it was like, everything's everything was working. I mean, it just, they got they use they use bubble screens. Um, they use flare screens to the running back. Um, they use the quarterback run threat. I mean, I I can't even like organize my thoughts about it. It was so good. Um, but I guess you know let's 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 try to like let's try to do this a little bit of, stru- of a structured way. Um, let's talk offensive line first. I mean, we didn't even talk about the offensive line yet. Um, they <clears throat> they absolutely mashed. I mean. From right off the bat, you know, they there was, they had a couple of uh, successful runs in the first drive where they had to punt. Um, but then you know, the second drive, they come out and immediately 70-yard run where they just completely dislocate um, to the Minnesota's defensive tackles. Uh, they're, you know, they get the linebackers going the wrong way. And, uh, and uh, Charbonnet goes for 70 yards. Um, I mean, and then all night, I think there was like one tackle for loss, maybe. Um, but they just like Michigan running backs were, were able to get whatever they wanted all night. Um, Minnesota's Minnesota's front just wanted none of it. Um, even on plays that didn't have that much misdirection or trickery, uh, there were just gaping holes. And I mean, I I honestly don't think that we saw even last year's offensive line mash anyone in this way. Like in that there were just truck sized holes. I mean. You know Notre Dame maybe, but like honestly, that was more like, you know, I think I think Jim Harbaugh and and Gaddis really came up with a lot of clever ways to get um, Notre Dame Notre Dame uh, linebackers in the wrong hole. Um, this was just like an ass kicking up front that I don't feel like I've seen 
Oh, like, I mean, maybe some of those, like, 20, maybe in, like, 2017, like, one of those couple games where, like, they were really, like, only running the ball because they had John O'Corn. But, like, I don't, I don't even know about that. Like, I, they, they really, really yeah. mashed up front. Well, those lines, I mean, the 2017 lines, like, it, it, they, they weren't nearly as good, obviously. And, like, Michigan, you know, we, we said going into the season that, you know, offensive line was the strength of the program and we weren't worried. If anything, we were being too pessimistic because, as you said, like, without missing a beat from last year's line, maybe... In in certain ways, this line could end up being better just because, like, Hayes is a true left tackle. Um, he did have one mistake on a really bad false start that was, like, comically bad. But, like, he's a true left tackle in a way that, um, you know, Runyon was never going to be. Uh, you know, it, 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 but, like, your point is well taken, which is that, like, it, this was not – and this is a key point about this offensive effort in general is that Michigan did not dig down in their playbook here. They just ran very basic stuff, and they got whatever – because they got whatever they wanted, their priority became – we're just going to get as many guys involved as possible until Minnesota shows us that like we actually have to try. Um, and so like, that's, I think that's one of the key takeaways for me is like, I, you know, Michigan, because they could get whatever they wanted because they were truck sized holes. They, they, for instance, ran Chris Evans up the gut a bunch, which I don't think will be a major feature of the offense because the guys going up the gut when there's a chance of like getting hit early on are going to be Charbonnet and Haskins. And we saw a lot of Haskins, uh, especially in that role, but they ran Evans up the gut because they're putting that on film so that, that Evans can then catch balls out of the backfield. And Minnesota allowed them to do shit like that all night long. Yeah. It was it was just, I mean, and I also will say, like, I, I tweeted this out, um, but, you know, one of the things that I specifically said in my in my season preview is like, oh, you know, you're going to notice that Cesar Ruiz isn't the center anymore because he can't, you know, he, he was really one of those rare centers that could pull out into space and make an impact block. Andrew Verstardis pulled out into space twice. I I, I rewatched I rewatched some of the highlights. Pulled out into space twice and not only got out in front of Joe Milton, but made crushing blocks on Minnesota linebackers. Um, I mean, I'm just I'm astounded how well this offensive line played in their first game. We we didn't see almost any of the of like the miscues that we thought we would see. Um, that I basically were, was just gonna chalk up to like a hey, first game stuff. I mean. There was like one tackle for loss on Michigan's third drive where they were, uh, they had like, you know, it, it was that missed field goal drive. It was, it was third and two and there was a tackle for loss because Michigan ran a pin and pull and Minnesota's linebackers just like n almost knew the play and ran through the, ran through the uh, vacated, you know, um, guard, you know, gap where they pulled from uh, and made a tackle for loss that like, just, you know, if, if they had run play action there or just, like, done anything else, it would have been, like, you know, a touchdown. Like, it, it they just knew what the play was almost um, because I'm sure they'd seen that on film. There's, you know, one time that Minnesota actually knew what they were looking at. Um, and uh, – but that was it. There was, there was, like, no tackles for loss that I can remember besides that. And then the only sack was, like, on third and 24 – where, you know, Hayes gets blown back a little bit on a, on a power rush. And sort of Joe Milton sort of runs himself into a sack, which is, you know, one of the only times he did that all night. So, I mean, like, unbelievable how well they played up front. I, 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 yeah. I, I, don't, have any, I don't have enough words for it. It's unbelievable. I think we'd be remiss, by the way, if we didn't mention Ben Mason in, in this context. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, we were talking about it before this game. Like, Michigan has something that very few teams have now, which is this free-floating free blocker who can go find any defender in space and take them out of the play, essentially. Um, and he did that a bunch. I mean, he was hitting guys over and over. There was the time that he, like, you know, just sort of threw, threw I think, a safety into the into the pile while uh, 
who was it that went around the edge? It doesn't really matter. One of Michigan's many contributors. But, like, Mason was – and, of course, he had the big penalty, which was just comical looking back on it. But, like, he was just <laughs> – yeah. you know, he's all over the place. He got a touchdown pass also. Um, the fact that Gaddis and Harbaugh and Warner have gotten together and cooked up a way for Ben Mason to be a really important piece of an explosive offense – is really cool to see because it shows that Michigan is dedicated to using all of their personnel like to their optimum level, which was was shown emphatically in this game. But also that like you know we love Ben Mason; it's cool to see him eat. <laughs> yeah, we love him, and uh, I also do want to apologize if, if Ben, if you're listening to this podcast, we've totally forgot to talk about you on the season preview for offense, which is like honestly like a a cancelable a cancelable offense. Um. But yeah, I mean Ben Mason isn't even just isn't just a meme, you know. That's what I what I kind of want to say. Like he there it's sort of like there's a meme on on you know on the internet where it's like, "Oh, like fullbacks, like wow, cool. Like they, you know, get it. They're like so tough and like it's an old school thing and like they're all like, you know, lunch pail guys or whatever." But it's like Ben Mason really is like a huge asset to this offense. Like they they can just insert like you said, they insert him wherever they want in the formation and he's going to kick someone's ass. Like he can whether it's a defensive tackle or or a corner, like he will kick your ass if, if you let him, and like he's or even if you don't let him, and I mean yeah, he's he's huge. He 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 had he was like responsible himself for just like many long runs in this game. Um, I yeah, I can't overstate you know again how well he played and and how good he looks. Um, so I mean from a running back perspective, like you know I almost kind of think like that. You, we almost like got the found out the least about the running backs. I mean, we like like we said, like we know they're good, um, but they just had so many open holes. Like it's it's kind of even hard to grade them. Um, I'll say you know it was nice to see that Charbonnet just ran away from everyone when he got out in open space. I mean, he looked incredibly fast. Um, you know, in the open field, which is what you want to see from him. Uh, you know, given that last year we sort of kind of thought that he was maybe missing a gear. Um, Haskins continues to be a really tough runner. Chris Evans, um, you know, looks like he looked when he went off the field in 2018. Um, and then Blake Corum is like, you know, your breakout star for 2020. Um, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on the running backs, Connor? I mean, same. It's really nice to see how buttery Evans looks, and that's going to become important. Again, I think this game was all about getting him on film so he can catch passes out of the backfield um, yeah. in the future, which I'm all for. Uh, Corum, I mean, that's the thing. They absolutely don't need Corum, but Josh Gaddis loves him for obvious reasons. He was just immediately a hoss. And they were doing stuff like lining him up at receiver, which, like, I, I think that's another great instance of, like, we're going to put a bunch of, like, without even digging into the playbook, we're going to put a bunch of weird stuff on film for you, let you guys sift through it. I think, I, I'm, I'm kind of cackling imagining upcoming defensive coordinators watching this film because they're like, well, like, how are we going to practice for Ben Mason in like an explosive, you know, speed and space right. offense? Like, how do you simulate the practice? You don't have a guy like that on your team, you know? Yeah. And then you have Corum like getting whatever he wants. It's like Michigan has four different running backs who can line up all over and hurt you in a bunch of different ways. We saw the Haskat again, direct snap to Haskins for just, you just walked in the end zone essentially. But like it, it, I mean, you just can't say enough good things about it. I think that like, this is shit. You have to be the best running backs room in the big 10, one of the best in the country, you know, easily. Um, and if they keep getting holes like that, they're going to have some nice stats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just don't, God, I feel like I'm being like too, like, but I just don't know like how you could look at that game and like, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I mean, you know, I think, um, I also think that, 
Um, yeah, like like Michigan can because of their running back. They have running backs like um, like uh, uh, Chris Evans and Blake Corm, who are just legitimate receiving threats. Um, they can just go so much whiplash. You know, they can they can come out with um, you know twenty one personnel. Uh, you know, two backs and uh, two backs and a tight end, and then go five wide. Or they can come in and they can you know bring bring Ben Mason into the backfield. And you know, motion Blake Corum into the backfield, and then all of a sudden, it's like a power running set. Like, there's just so much you can do with this personnel. Um, so, I mean, and then moving on to the receivers a little bit here. Um, you know, I think this is kind of like the this is the position group we probably learned the least about um, because just because we all already knew these guys were super fast, they didn't catch a lot of balls downfield. It was a lot of screens. Um, a lot of like RPOs, um, very few, very few downfield shots. Um, and you know, I, I think that's the one question mark you probably still have about this offense is like, do we have somebody that can go downfield and catch a jump ball? Um, but you know, I like, will they need, well, that will they even need that? <laughs> you know? So I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on the receivers generally? Yeah, I mean, I think the deep ball, like Milton uncorked one that was nowhere near the receiver. I don't remember who the receiver was supposed to be. Was it was it Wilson or Bell? I think it was, anyway, I think it was Wilson. Yeah, and, you know, I, we were joking about the need for the Roman Wilson deep ball, and I think that's something that they should <laughs> Which seriously. They did, yeah, yeah. I mean, they should keep working on that. I think by the end of the, by the time they face Ohio State, they're going to need Joe Milton to, be, to like make some heroic throws. So they keep working on that. We didn't really see a much deep game from them, like you said. I, I will say that some questions that were answered for me, like. Mike Sandristel made a really great catch that looked like, you know, an outside wide receiver catch. He's not just a novelty guy. Um, we did not see Cornelius Johnson. I don't think he even get targeted. I think he was, was he on the field much? I don't, I don't know what was going on there. Um, I, I thought that I, I thought that he had been on the field, but yeah, he was like the only one that didn't get uh, a reception. Um, so, and I don't think he got targeted either. So yeah, I don't I, think that's, yeah, I don't know if that's cause for concern really, but we're going to need him at some point this year as a guy who can, you know, physically, beat out guys for jump balls but again there was no need for that today um yeah. i think that a major a major set of questions being answered for me is roman wilson didn't just run fast i mean he made some nice catches he was running routes he's he's ready i mean he's not gonna be your number one receiver but like dude dude can play and he's gonna be a guy that we're gonna be like i, I think by the middle of the season people the, the commentators will be like oh he was pretty low rated because he's out there in hawaii and we're gonna be like yeah and josh gaddis found him and like, right. now he's now he's on our team ha ha um, and, and so I think I'm very, actually very optimistic about his future. Uh, Ronnie Bell looked like Ronnie Bell. Jackson didn't actually get to do much, which is a little disappointing for me, but like, we know he can do stuff. Um, trying to think here, Eric all looked great aside from one incredibly stupid drop where he already had the ball <laughs> yeah. and only the end zone in front of him. And just, you know, I know he feels bad about that. Not something I'm worried about. He looked like a stud for the most part. Um, What's, they both he blocked well. Him and we should say Eubanks was out. Um, Eubanks was out potential. I, we don't know if it's COVID or not. Um, but it was him and Shoemaker with tight end duties. Uh, and a little bit of Ben Mason also at tight end. Um, I thought they just you know quickly like I, again we're gonna have to wait for the like, grades on this, but thought they blocked pretty well. I, I picked up a couple of times in in two tight end sets that I thought they really locked out their guy pretty well. Um, which is you know, really all you hope for from a tight end. So Yeah, I feel very good about the position for Michigan, even with Eubanks out. I hope he comes back, but I think all is I mean, just looking at all physically out there, dude looks like he's an NFL tight end. He's gonna be playing in the NFL in, in pretty short order. Um and I think lastly for me, it was nice to see AJ Henning, not because Michigan's gonna need him a ton, 
but because of that whole that 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 like in terms of recruiting and in terms of like what kind of program you want to be running, when you get these fast freshmen in, you find roles for them and they're able to contribute immediately. That's just that's that's grist for the mill, baby. It's what you want to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, the last thing that I'll talk about, you know, I I totally agree. Um, you know, very funny that they talked up Eric All as like having the best hands in the team, uh, and he immediately drops like a, a wide open touchdown pass. I I don't think that's going to be you know, um, emblematic of like his season. Uh, but you know, I thought he, I thought he looked good as well. Um, yeah, I think, I think also, you know, like, just like you said with recruiting, like, you know, having, having Blake Corum come in and immediately catch, uh, you know, the first, the first pass of the game, you know, get the first touch of the game and then, you know, showing that they're willing to, you know, throw AJ Henning out there and, you know, get, get a, get a bubble screen, um, you know, in meaningful time, like, that's huge for recruits because every 18-year-old that they're recruiting right now thinks that they're going to come in and, you know, be the day one starter, which, you know, they're probably not. But it's great to show them. It's like, hey, like, if you come in and you're like a baller, like, you can you can make an impact on these offense day one. And that's that's huge for kids to see. And I think that's actually something Michigan really hasn't done a great job with um, in the past. They've, they've, they've been kind of more of like, a, hey, we want you to, like, make sure you know the entire playbook before you get on the field. And this game was like, yeah, AJ Henning probably only knows that one play and that one route. You know, he's only been on campus for like a couple months, but like they got him the ball, and that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's the general vibe here, I think, too, which is like this is an offense that is designed to make things simple for these skill guys. Um, if you run the goddamn offense, Shea Patterson, uh, like <laughs> this is yeah, you know, this is a user friendly college offense. It's not a not a bunch of like wizardry you have to know, which I think has actually been one of the big problems with. Harbaugh's various galaxy brain coordinators over the years. Um, and I think that's probably a good segue to just to talk about Joe Milton. We haven't talked about that in depth uh, other than to praise him. What, what do you think there, Dan? Yeah. So I, I was just going to say like, we haven't, we haven't even gotten to Joe Milton yet. Um, I mean, Joe Milton was ever the, the only take we had this that was wrong was that, you know, Joe Milton was going to make a couple of boneheaded throws. Um, and he didn't, I mean, he was just, he looked so poised. Like, I was worried the first drive when he got sacked. I'm like, okay, we're going to spend the rest of the game. He's going to be just, like, kind of, like, shaken up a little bit. And he just wasn't. He was so poised. He made all the right reads in the run game. He made all the right throws in the passing game. I mean, I won't say all the right. I don't know. I'd have to go back. I'm, you know, it's definitely rose-colored glasses right now that, I, that they won by so much. Um but, I, you know, he was just like, I, I called him sort of like a super game manager. He was like, you know, like, he just did what he was asked to do, and he threw to the right people, and he made the right reads, but all while having, like, a cannon arm and, you know, and, like, big-time speed and, like, just being a, a physical specimen. I mean, you know, like, we saw him him break a run down the right sideline uh, in, the, in the end zone, and, like, you saw when he really took off, like, I don't know what who ranked him as a pocket passer coming out of high school, but like that man can legit run in, in a way that like even some good running quarterbacks cannot legit run. I mean, he just looked so so tantalizing. You know, he didn't he he wasn't like immediately. You know, he's he's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not like Justin Fields. You know, yet, but like. He did just look like you just saw it all. Like you saw, you really just immediately saw everything that you know the coaches see in him. 
Yeah, I mean, the reason you can say he's not those guys yet is because, like, Michigan didn't need him to, like, drop a perfect ball over somebody's back shoulder. So why would he? You know, I mean, he's throwing the guys who are wide open all day, um, just making routine throws and, and distributing the ball to guys, let them eat, basically, and focus on the run game, which we predicted would happen. And, yeah, he didn't make any stupid throws. He had a couple that, like, weren't perfectly accurate. That deep ball was nowhere near. That might have just been miscommunication, honestly. And then there was another one that was fairly deep kind of across the field to Giles Jackson that was, like, a little bit off, and Jackson kind of had a play on it and didn't quite get there. Um, but, like, no, I mean, there was just nothing. What he looked like, and, again, it's the, like, he's not Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields yet thing, is, like, he, what he looked like was a veteran superstar quarterback who was just kind of relaxing and, like, kind of making sure the game, you know, moved along before he handed things off to his backup. That was the vibe, right? Like, just an incredibly relaxed guy who knew how good he was and wasn't worried about anything. And oh my God, is that like to see that in a Michigan uniform? I, I, I mean, honestly, the last time we saw a passer like give off that vibe. And to be clear, the context here is that Michigan has a much better offense overall than most of these guys in the last fifteen years have had. But I mean, I think it was like Chad Henney was the last guy that gave me that vibe, honestly. And it's it's not the fault of every single quarterback in that in you know in that interim since Henney, but like we just haven't seen that from a Michigan quarterback in a long time, where like. We've had guys that are panicking left and right. We've had guys who are forced to make heroic plays all the time because there's no offensive line and not enough skill talent. Um, that was not Joe Milton. That was a guy who was keeping a lot of what he can do under wraps, was just making easy throws and looked... I mean, if you're an opposing team and you actually watched Michigan's offense yesterday and you're not terrified of their upside right now... I, well, I guarantee you that your defensive coordinator is. Let me tell you that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so. he just – he he really, I think, his biggest impact in this game – because you're right, like a lot of the throws that he made were very routine. He threw a ton of screens, um, you know, a ton of like pretty pretty open slants. Um, you know, the one impressive pass he had was uh, the the like 15-yard out to uh, Mike Sainer still, which, you know, was extremely impressive, and Mike Sainer still made a great play on it. Um, the one thing he did just very well was like he made the right reads in the running game. Like he punished, he punished ends that were you know shuffling too aggressively, and he looked like he was just going to be a real, real asset there. Um, he's just he's going to be a load to bring down once he gets into the secondary. He's got the athleticism to outrun linebackers. Like he's going to be you know, and he made a couple plays on scrambles. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I thought this was the, like the maximally like you know, um, the absolute, like, best we could have hoped for from him. And I think he's, you know, like, we should say, like, he's going to, he will make his mistakes. Like, absolutely, he's going to make his, like, you know, first-time starter mistakes. But he didn't in this game, and, like, I think he's only, you know, this, the sky's the limit. And, and yeah. it's just, like, it's good to see that, like, you know, he was just so calm out there. And that's, like, the number one thing that, you know, you could could have seen going wrong or that you, you see a lot of first time starters go through is just like that kind of panic on, on the first like road game against like a decent team. And there was none of that from him. And it was just, I don't know. It's he's, I, I just, I, I, I have a trouble. I have trouble imagining he's not going to be like the best Michigan quarterback that I've ever watched as a fan. Um, and you know, I've, yeah. I've only been watching since 2011, but like I, he's instantly better than Shea Patterson, like that's just, which is what we, which what we said he would be. So, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. Goddamn, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, oh. and one reason that he'll be that good and already looks that good is because Michigan has finally assembled personnel 
that can make him that, which they haven't had in almost 20 years. And they have an offensive coordinator who has given him, gifted him the keys to an offense that is very QB friendly. And this is where, um, I, this is not the last time I say it, but I have to say it one more time. I, Shea Patterson, I, so goddamn bad and bad, bad in a way that makes no sense to me looking at this team this year. Because Shea wasn't bad in that, like, he was trying to, like, heroically do too much within the confines of a bad offense and couldn't make it happen because he wasn't talented enough. He was deliberately making everything harder on himself all the time because Gaddis was trying to make his life easy. And Shea said, no, I don't want you to make my life easy, mom. I mean, like, it, like <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was petulant teenager shit. Like, he just would not do the basic stuff Milton was doing most famously pulling the ball in zone reads, but just like, I just thinking back on it, like a guy who's been trained at IMG and has been playing quarterback his whole life and just refuses to do the easy things that your coordinator is, is, is like begging you to do. I, I, I don't, I don't know, man. It's there bizarre. Was it's bizarre yeah. looking back. I mean, cause like this could have been the offense last. I mean, look, you know, we should say like, we're being very rosy about the offense. You know, it's, I, I will say like, I, I think Minnesota's defense almost has to be bad. Like, Michigan's not going to score on every drive all year. So I will just say, like, Minnesota's defense is probably bad. Um, and, and I think we'll probably prove out to be... It's it's not like, you know, it's not Rutgers. It's like, it's a functioning defense, but I do think it will, like, you know, it'll this will be like a, if in the 30s or 40s SP plus defense. Um, so, you know, like, this is not going to be a perfect offense all year. It's not going to, like, have this same game over and over. But like I do agree, it it is just mystifying thinking about like what like what was Shea Patterson doing last year? I mean, there's n- nothing that J- Joe Milton did today that Shea Patterson couldn't have physically done. You know, it was just all stuff he either like didn't know the playbook or I don't know. It's very weird to think about. So, um, so yeah. you know, I mean, just just overall here, um, I would say uh, I mean, quick special teams note. Um, we should mention that Minnesota was totally out, like they're out, like all of their punters and kickers. So yeah. they gave up great field position all game. I, I mean, um, so is Michigan, as far as I can tell, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. like Michigan well, couldn't was, complete that, a punt or a kick either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's honestly what I was also going to say is like, you know, Michigan got some breaks as far as special teams go because Minnesota could not kick off, um, you know, but. Uh, Michigan also missed three field goals. Um, you know, Jake Elliott missing all three of his field goals. So this was kind of a wash. And honestly, like, even with the special teams crap, like, Michigan, this was a beatdown. Michigan had eight. Um, so, yeah, it's like 8.5 yards per play to, Mich- to Minnesota's 4.5. Um, and, like, just, just a beatdown, like, whether or not you want to, like, you know, look at – it would have been a, fl- a total fluke for Minnesota to win this game. Um, so I don't think special teams really played that much of a factor. Um, I guess, you know, look, if you, if you really want to nitpick, you could get worried about Michigan's field goal kickers, um, which is always a worry because, you know, college kickers. Um, but like, we do have a pretty good sample size. We know like Jake Elliott and Quinn Nordine, um, who apparently was hurt this game, like can hit field goals and, and should be pretty good. So I don't know. Um, you know, hopefully this is just kind of an off game for him. Yeah, I, I, it's a big worry. Obviously, they have to make a field goal at some point, and they haven't done that this season yet. Yeah. But uh, it, it, you know, it's an outlier. Moody, in particular, has been pretty the more reliable one, and, and Nordine hopefully will be back soon. It's Harbaugh made it sound like he'd be back fairly soon, so whatever. Um, I, I'm kind of th- yeah. So, and as you said, like there was nothing 
fluky about. I mean, this this is this is about as much of a beatdown as you're going to see like non Rutgers edition when you dig into stats. So um, that might be a good segue just to say that uh, into the rest of the Big Ten because I maybe maybe Rutgers isn't the butt of the jokes anymore. In fact, in this league, <laughs> but maybe we should go yeah. down a list before getting to that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, let's uh, let's let's get to the lot to that last so that we can really get the most out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think like might be good if you just kind of run through most of these games um, and I might jump in a little bit, but uh, cause I, you know, this is running a little bit long, so maybe just run through it and then we'll talk. Yeah. We'll yeah. Talk, absolutely. We'll talk Rutgers Sparty at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me know if you have any thoughts. Uh, so Illinois versus Wisconsin was the Friday game. Um, Graham Mertz uh, looked really, really good. I think 20 out of 21 passing. Um, he, you know, everything was in stride. He looked awesome. Unfortunately, it appears that he got COVID um, and will be out for 21 days, which means that if he is, you know, confirmed uh, positive for COVID, he will uh, be out for the Michigan game, which would be pretty devastating for them. And honestly, like not ex- like not even like being, you know, the oh, it's too bad. Like no, like I actually would really want to see him play this Michigan team. Yeah, it, it sucks. Um, I, I really feel bad it for sucks. the kid. It absolutely sucks, and I I hope that you know it was a false positive. Um, their backup would be a guy that's never played before. He was like a junior two star. Um, I I think the the biggest notes here. Illinois is terrible. They like did not cover any receivers, so I think it's kind of an incomplete grade for to see if 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 uh, if Wisconsin actually has some playmakers out there. Um, Graham Mertz is probably pretty good, um, and uh, you know the, again you know. M- Wisconsin's running backs outside of uh, Garrett Groshek really did struggle. Uh, Nakia Watson was their lead back and only had 3.3 yards per carry. Um, so we'll see what happens with this Wisconsin offense. I'm still not totally sold because Illinois is really, really, really horrendous um, on defense. They just don't – they run a cover two and they forget to, like, you know, actually do, like, the basic tenets of cover two sometimes. Um, Ohio State, Nebraska – Ohio State did beat down Nebraska. Justin Fields looked amazing. Um, you know, it, every every part of Ohio State's offense looked amazing. Um, the one thing that I will say that's a little bit, you know, encouraging if you're a Michigan fan and something that we talked about in the season preview was, like, Ohio State's defense didn't look, like, unbeatable. Um, Nebraska had 8.08 yards per attempt and also um, 8, 5.8 yards per carry, most of that being from Adrian Martinez. Um so, like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like a – it might just not be the best defense ever like it was last year, which, like, is the most you could really ask for. We already know this is going to be, the like, you know, one, like a, a, an elite offense. So maybe it can just be, like, a top – I don't know, like a top 10 defense instead of a top Yeah, two I mean, defense. like, to be clear, we projected this defense to regress, and this is why I have questions for national analysts. Like, you know, when, when a team loses a secondary that good, including a guy like Okuda, and you lose Chase Young – um, like you're probably gonna take a step back, even if you are Ohio State, and, and people seem to assume that they just wouldn't. And like you know, looks like they kind of have, and um, look a little bit more mortal. And I, this is where I, I find college bat- football analysis kind of baffling. You guys, you're you're always able to go look at the rosters, everybody. We do it every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. So. You know, I mean, like, look, they're still going to be very, very good. That's that's not what we're saying. Um, even, you know, the defense is going to be very, very good. Just, like, maybe it's not, you know, best ever good. Um, Penn State, Indiana. So, Indiana uh, beats Penn State, um, you know, in overtime. 
really just have to be happy for Indiana fans who have just had, like, this. they have just been on the edge of doing this for a million years, and they finally did it. Um, so, you know, really, you know, uh, great job by them. Um, but uh, I, I will say that, uh, you know, Penn State did dominate this game. Like, Indiana only had 211 offensive yards. Um, Penn State threw some, you know, Sean Clifford threw some really bad picks. I thought Michael Penix uh, Jr. looked pretty pretty bad, honestly. Like, not very accurate downfield. Um, and, uh, you know, Penn State got, like, most of their offense from Sean Clifford, like, running for 1,000 yards. Um, and, you know, they didn't quite mash, you know, Indiana's front in the way that, like, Michigan mashed Minnesota's. Um, so, I don't know. Like, this is kind of a weird game. Like, Penn State did dominate. They should have won, um, if not for, you know, the bad picks. I think, like, I, I, I just don't think – like, this Penn State offense just isn't quite coming together yet. There's still time for that to happen, obviously. But, you know, like, I would say jury's still out. Like, I don't think I – I don't think it's stock up or down from where we had them – you know, preseason, um, you know, I all mean, that I, said, they, <laughs> go ahead. No, I, I was just saying all that said, they should have beat Indiana, but yeah, go ahead, Connor. I, I, am going to call you out a little bit there because I think you were super high on Penn state, including Clifford and, and yeah, they have, okay. <laughs> they've looked, they've looked a little bit overrated. I mean, they were, a lot of people were like, Oh, there might be a playoff team. They were the team to beat Ohio state. And like, I've always been a Penn state skeptic and I feel a little vindicated. I know they should have won this game and it was an incredibly fluky win. Where, yeah, like you said, Penix did not look good till the very end of the game in overtime. I mean, he made Penix made genuinely a lot of very bad throws in this game, um, just straight up. But I mean, I watched I watched Penn State and Sean Clifford had serious Shea Patterson vibes in terms of like bad pocket presence, uh, being flighty. I will say that he ran with more courage than Shea has ever did in two years, basically, which <laughs> is you know important. But there were like Sean Shea Patterson Ian Book style like. Why are you? Why do you have zero pocket presence, and why are you making that decision? Vibes here, um, and you know we talked about like Penn State's in a situation where you look at their roster, and almost everybody playing is like anywhere between a four, four point five, or five star. So like, yeah, you assume they're going to be good, but like we didn't really see anybody prove out, and they are down their would have been their best players on both offense and defense in Journey Brown and Micah Parsons. So. For me to believe Penn State's actually going to be anywhere near as good as they're supposed to be, I need to see who the stars of this team are because we just didn't really see it. I, I guess I believe in like Fryermuth uh, and Shaka Tony, but beyond that, like I need you need to see something. I, I watched most of that game and like they didn't have guys showing out the way that Michigan did, you know? Yeah, it, it's kind of a weird situation where like like I said, they should have won this game. They were much better than Indiana, but like they also didn't look as they did not look like what a top ten team should look like playing Indiana. Um, you know, they didn't look like what Michigan looked like playing Minnesota, you know. So, anyway. Um, so, moving on to Iowa versus Purdue, the game that probably nobody that listening to this podcast cares about. Um, uh, but uh, my, my girlfriend is now scowling at me from across the room. She's a Purdue grad, and she wants all the haters and losers to know that uh, Purdue is back, baby. Um, <laughs> I've been saying it. We've been saying they were back. Rondell we, Moore is yo, back. We, we've been saying Purdue's back. Um, <laughs> Purdue won. I mean, honestly, though, shouts out Purdue. They won this game without their best player and their head coach. Um, David Bell is sick. Um, he's really, really good. Um, Purdue rushed the ball pretty effectively. Once, I mean, once David Bell, once once Moore's back and and Brom is back, um, you know, David Bell and 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 
uh, Rondell Moore are going to be a problem. So, you know, um, look out for Purdue. I, that's all I'll say. They, they, I like legitimately, this is not just me saying this um, so that I get laid or whatever. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I genuinely do think that Purdue um, could, could make a run at the, on the, at the West. Like, I don't see why not. So, um, yeah, I mean, especially and, if Mertz is going to be out for a while. And I will say, like, I'm very happy Michigan doesn't have to play them because I don't want to see Michigan have to play a team with great receivers. We know that sometimes it oh, doesn't go absolutely. very well. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, the, okay, this is the least cared about game. Maryland versus Northwestern. <laughs> Hilarious. I mean, you know, shout out Ben, uh, Benji. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Northwestern kicks the crap out of Maryland. Um and Maryland might be the worst, even though, you know, we're about to laugh at Michigan State for like 15 straight minutes. Um, Maryland might be the worst team in the Big Ten this year. It, Tua's brother, uh, Talia Tagovailoa, looks terrible. He had three interceptions. Um, How do you throw three interceptions against Northwestern? They've got like flag football players playing in their secondary. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's awful, dude. Yeah, the, the, Maryland looks horrendous. Um, and... I think they might they might like lose handily to Rutgers and Michigan State this year. Um, both of those teams looked better than Maryland, um, and which is saying something. <laughs> and uh, North they made North like Northwestern was like legitimately really good on offense and like uh, in this game and that just cannot be the case. Like there's no way Northwestern's offense is good. Like this is just this is like clearly just such a bad team. Um, so you know I mean good for Northwestern honestly getting the win. Um, they, they definitely need that if they're going to like have, you know, a moderately successful season. Um, but I just like, I just don't think Northwestern's very good. They had the 120th ranked SP plus offense last year. There's no way they go from that to like being, being anywhere near serviceable. So Maryland might just be like a dumpster fire this year. Um, so, uh, with all that, let's move into, uh, a section of, you know, a section of the show notes where I just have Michigan, ver- Michigan state versus Rutgers. Ha 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 ha! Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Connor, what 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 are your uh, very serious thoughts about Michigan State losing by eleven points to Rutgers at home? <laughs> I, I just I, I just it's so yeah it's so goddamn funny. I think the thing that I just could not believe I was seeing was that Rutgers like their athleticism and team speed vastly surpassed Michigan State's in this game to the point where you have like linebackers swarming everything Michigan State's trying to do. You have Noah Vadral, who's like a 1.5 star recruit, like, you know, stunting on the sideline. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just things that you should not be allowing Rutgers to do. It, it, any FBS team shouldn't be allowing Rutgers to do really. And they're doing, they're doing an East Lansing. I just don't even like, I don't know what, what has Michigan State been doing all off season? Like for real. I mean, I, I genuinely have questions. They look like a team that hadn't practiced. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah, they. Yeah, I mean, they looked. I mean, like, okay. So the one thing that you know, I'll say is like, Michigan State did turn the ball over seven times. <laughs> like, it, I mean, first of all, hilarious. Like, like you know, get your laughing out right away. Um, it probably won't happen again. <laughs> hopefully this year. Um, but like that said, it wasn't like they were dominating this Rutgers team. Like. They they could not, they ran the ball I think like for one point five yards per carry. Um, I, I got I'm, I'm not gonna go back to the box score and check it, but like literally they kept running the ball on first down and they kept getting no yards. And this is against Rutgers defensive front, so they're not gonna be able to run the ball on anyone this year. And so now that just leaves you like Rocky Lombardi who probably had his best game of his career, but still like could not hit anything more than ten yards downfield. 
So this offense is just going to be like a crappy offensive line that can't run block and can't really pass block um, for more than a couple seconds. And Rocky Lombardi throwing, you know, scattershot footballs in the general direction of receivers within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Like, you know, they're, they're going to be lucky if they can pull out a win this year because, you know, they, they probably should have beat Rutgers if they didn't turn the ball over seven times. You know, I mean, like, maybe, I don't know, it would have been close. But, like, now you didn't. So so you need to find a win against either Maryland or um, or Northwestern, who at least, you know, at least we know Northwestern is, like, has a functional quarterback. Um, I don't know. They could go – they could legitimately go 0-8. Um, and even if they go 1-7, in, you know, in seven, like, this, is, this feels like a dead program because they're, like, 13th in, in recruiting class right now, you know, behind Rutgers – and, like, there's nothing on this roster. I don't know what, you know, it It doesn't seem like, I don't know. <laughs> and, like, there's no, like, pro, like Mel Tucker is has not shown that he's good, a good coach at any point in his career. Like, this seems like a, like a very, like, you know, pretty fucked program. Yeah, I, that's the thing. Like, if you're a recruit watching that, you're like, okay, they're not developing their players. The guys that are supposed to be NFL, NFL caliber also look bad. Um, their, their big recruits last few years all look bad in this game. What conclusions are you going to draw? If you're, if you're being recruited by MSU right now, you might, be, you might be getting recruited by other Big Ten programs, in which case you want to go there. Or you're being recruited by, like, you know, Kentucky or Cincinnati, both of whom are, are much better than Michigan State right now. Like, I... I just don't, it, it looked, it, I don't know, man. It was like someone had like, you know, gone back in time to find like a bad big 10 team from like 10 years ago where you're like, not only were they bad, but they were like trying to run, you know, like the same, the same like predictable run play over and over again, running into a wall. It looked like it was like an archaic form of badness. Um, archaic enough that like the level of athleticism that Rutgers brings in their defense was too much for them. I just, I don't know what they've been doing. I don't know what that program is is like trying to do. Really, it it's it's almost enough for me to feel bad for them, but it's going to be a few more years before I countenance feeling bad for Michigan State. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, I mean, my one serious serious take that I have, honestly, is um, this shows the difference between what like like even though we're saying like, hey, Rutgers got pretty lucky to win this game, blah blah blah, like. They're still, like, that is, their performance on Saturday was still, like, leagues above anything we've seen from Rutgers, you know, in the past, like, which is not saying much, but, like, in the past, you know, however long they've been in the conference. Um, And so, like, what I will say is that a big part of this game was a lot of the transfers that Rutgers brought in, like, credit where it's due to Greg Schiano. He came in and looked at this roster and said, oh, fuck no, like, and immediately brought in, like, Mike Dwumfor. He brought in Noah Vedrill. He brought in um, uh, Aaron Crookshank from Wisconsin. Um, he brought in uh, that safety from uh, Ohio State, who I can't think of his name right now. And all of those players today made big plays against this Michigan State game, to, uh, st- state team to win the game. And contrast that with with what Mel Tucker did, which was you know bring in literally zero transfers. And I don't know how many of them turned Michigan State down, but. These transfers are going to Rutgers, so like there must have been somebody you could find that was willing to like come like, you know I mean who's to say Mike Dwumfor wouldn't have wanted to go play for Michigan State and they didn't do any of that and this shows like 
Greg Schiano realized, like, yeah, this is going to be a real building process, but the important thing is that I win some games this year to show proof of concept. Like, you can't rebuild if you never get off the ground, and, like, losing to Rutgers is a pretty good way to, like, tank your coaching tenure, like, pretty much right off the bat. So, um, yeah, uh, Michigan State, I-, I do think Maryland's the worst team in the Big Ten right now, but Michigan State's in for a rough season. Yeah, and I, mean, I haven't watched Maryland. Obviously, Maryland, looking at the box score, must be abject. But, like, you know, I, I guess that's what you said. Rutgers is a terrible football team. They're one of the worst teams in FBS. Um, you know, Schiano is at least an actual coach. And it looked like a team that had been coached that had a plan, that, like, had some love for each other, that was, like, you know, a, a coherent football team, a coherent bad football team, but one nonetheless. Michigan State just doesn't even look like that right now. They just – I don't – I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I don't know how you go from – we can talk a lot of shit about D'Antonio, but, like, that guy had a football program going. And I don't totally get what happened. I mean, there are all these, like, just, you know, specific things that happened, like their big recruiting class turning out to, like, you know, all be convicted of crimes and, like, stuff like that. Like, it's just a lot of different things happen individually. I don't know what, like, how you go from a team that, you know, I was still scared of two years ago. Michigan was still scared to play – I mean, I – I don't think players are scared to play them, but, like, we as Michigan fans were still, like, you know, (laughs) D'Antonio Warlock powers as recently as two years ago because three years ago they beat Michigan in, you know, a a horrible Warlock rainstorm with John O'Corn at quarterback. And I I just – you rarely will see an FBS program just, like, fall apart like this. I, I, it's, there's some bad juju there. Maybe it's just karma. Maybe it's just bad karma from all the bad vibes of that place. I don't know. (laughs) So, I mean, just, you know, we, we went through all the Big Ten games. Um, quick notes, you know, we're going a little bit long here, but, uh, what are your, how does this game for Michigan change your outlook on the season? Like, do you want to update your schedule, your, uh, your, your record prediction? Like what, what's, how are you feeling? Um, I mean, I, I predicted seven and two. They've already passed one of their major tests. Uh, I, I could, you could easily talk me into eight and one right now. I'm obviously not going to predict an Ohio state win. Um, you know, I probably won't predict it until it actually happens if it did you know i'd be happy to be wrong but other than that man like i need i'm gonna need to see this michigan offense falter i'm gonna need to see some like flaws emerge and like flaws will emerge against better teams we will see this team on both sides of the ball not perform as well as they did this time and in particular the defense still has some things that are exploitable um we went over some of those we don't know what the dts are going to do against elite teams and we don't know if the corners are going to hold up or if brown's scheme which is still a very risky he's he's still married to press man and that's that storyline is interesting because it worked. And I, I don't know what the future of that is going forward. But anyway, um, let's let's put it this way. I, I believe the defense will be good because it's always good under Brown, if not, you know, 2016 level good. Um, the offense, I'm going to need to see this offense falter before I bet against them because that, that was an offense that looked like they could get a lot going against a significantly better defense than what they were seeing in Minnesota. They'd have to work harder for it, and there would be some more, like, you know, some more plays where they're working with a higher risk or getting plays blown up, which seemingly never happened last night. But even if you factor in some drives where you get taken off the field by a good defense, that offense looks like they're going to eat. And I need to see something to the contrary before I say that they're on track to be kind of easily the best offense, second best offense in the Big Ten after Ohio State right now. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I will update my schedule prediction because, you know, I, I predicted they would lose to Minnesota, which they very much did not do. So, you know, I'm on like the 7-2, and two, you know, w- including the game at the end of the season. Like, I think they'll still probably drop one, you know, um, to 
either Penn State or Wisconsin. And, like, you know, I, I think they might be favored in those two games based on how the teams played this weekend. But, like, I'm not going to go crazy yet. I'll still, I'll still say they'll lose one of those two and then probably still lose to Ohio State, who, you know, looks every bit as good as we thought they'd be. So, you know, I'll say, you know, 7-2. and two, And I, I think this – but I, I really do think this this massively positively influenced my outlook on the season. So, um, but, uh, you know, that's – that's the uh, pod for this week. Um, you know, we'll we'll be talking to you at some point this this uh, this week about the upcoming Michigan State game, where we will um, probably just continue to laugh for you know another good hour. But everyone loves that. Like that's that's the best kind of content <laughs> right now is, is talking shit on Michigan State. So um, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, talk to you soon.